Andre Bishop spoke with union members and guests at an SDCF symposium event in January of 1996. I'm Susan Stroman, a member of Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, and this is Masters of the Stage. This program is produced and presented by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing. Because this program was not originally intended for broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. As a result, portions of the conversation may have been edited. So I just want to welcome... Uh,
plays and casino theaters on Broadway, such as The Heiress, because it seemed that that play should be done in the casino theater and not on thrust. And occasionally, before my time, we worked at La Mama and uh, in Brooklyn, sort of spaces all over the city. Uh, but our repertory is pretty broad. Uh, and the, we do new plays, but not anywhere near the degree that we did at Clarence Horizons. Um, people say, well, what is the artistic mission of Lincoln Center Theater? And my predecessor uh, would really say there wasn't one. It was, they, they always used to, those of you who maybe have gone there, they used to say the mission of Lincoln Center Theater is good plays, popular prices. Um, when I got there, I felt that, well, that wasn't perhaps artistic enough, um, but pretty much I followed that um, dictate. So that's where I'm coming from as a producer, and then Bob had hold up some other friend of his from another theater to talk about what he or she looks for in a director. You would hear something completely different, probably. Or if I had come here as the artistic director of Playwrights Horizons, which I was until five years ago, you would also hear something different from me. So, because of the wide scope of what we do at Wicked Center, what I'm looking for uh, is directors of enormous accomplishment. And what do I mean by that? Um, I guess I'm looking for directors who uh, can do all things, can, I guess, work on a new play with an author, if that is what it is, be able to stage a play in any sort of space, have a very fine uh, attention to design and detail, uh, to know all there is to know about the world theater literature, uh, to be inspirational, obviously, to actors as well as to the staff of the theater. I'm not a director. I've actually never directed a play since school. And uh, I, because I'm not a director, rely very heavily on having someone directing the play who is really, really skilled. Uh, the problems I have often are that the kind of director I'm looking for is understandably very hard to find. Uh, because, you know, I'm sure you won't be talking about this for two days. I mean, I don't really know anything about how one teaches directing, but I'm sure thousands of people have said, yes, you can learn so much in school, but basically you have to be given opportunities and more and more and more opportunities and not shabby ones all the time uh, in which to direct. Um, and we all know that opportunities create artists, and we all know there aren't too many opportunities in this country uh, for new ones. Um, the kinds of directors I work with, who are they, Bob asked? Well, probably, I don't know if any of you would know them, but you might know some of them. One, I've worked with a great deal of playwrights and at Lincoln Center is a guy named Jerry Gutierrez. And in a way, I look at him as being the absolute ultimate kind of director I'm looking for. And what is that? It's just what I said earlier. It is a man who is consummate in his knowledge of the theater, who is a graduate of Juilliard, both in the first acting company and in the music department. So someone who is equally at ease in the world of music and the world of words, or the world of 
He's a man who is able to direct in thrust, in proscenium, in the round. He has directed The Most Happy Fella, musicals, The Heiress, Shakespeare, countless new plays, basically everything, which is is something that I think, you know, you all know is very hard to find. Uh, in this country, I find young directors, I can't speak so much for older ones, get sort of categorized and, well, this is what they do, you know. Dark comedies by saucy young writers, oh, well, that's what he does, or experimental things where everyone goes around wearing draperies and, and all that, that's what he does or she does. And it's very hard, I think, today to get the kind of breadth of experience that a guy like Gutierrez has. Um, another man I work with quite a bit is named Dan Sullivan, who is a comfort to me because he's an artistic director, so he knows what a guy like me goes through, as well as a very fine director who has one particular skill more than anything else, which I think is dramaturgical. Uh, he's stage as well, he's wonderful with actors, he has a good look and all that, he's very practical. But his great gift, the thing that I think makes him outstanding as opposed to just talented, is the word he gets out of writers. Um, we're now doing a play by John Robin Bates, and the partnership between the two of them on the text of this play, and how it changes and deepens and strengthens, uh, is astounding. Um, I've also worked quite a bit with a woman named Graziella Danielle, who has a background in music. She was a dancer and a choreographer and has now become a director. Uh, and she, because of, we do a lot of the musicals in Lincoln Center, uh, she, is, she fits under some of my other categories. She is, number one, an extraordinary spirit who was brought up uh, in Paris in a ballet there and then came over here and danced in the chorus of the original West Side Story, and then studied under Michael Bennett and Bob Fosse and all of these legendary, mostly, I'm afraid, uh, uh, dead <laughs> director choreographers. Um, she is in the process of moving away from pure movement and choreography into text and, and song and everything. And she's, uh, she's one of these directors that I really like because she she comes in with an idea of a show she wants to do, and because she's been in residence for several years at Lincoln Center, we have the ability and the space and the money to let her go into rooms and figure things out um, over the course of many months. Uh, so those are kind of three people I really like. I'm not saying you know they're the greatest or I mean you know. The, we work in the theater now where I feel constantly besieged and uh, apologetic about uh, and just about everything and sort of nervous about saying, well, this is who I like and this is who I want. Because I think we're living in a, such an era of, well, a troubled era, let's just say, where those of us who work in the theater are required to be so many other things besides what we really know how to do. I at Lincoln Center, and it, I'm sure every theater in this country, understandably, we are called to do other things besides produce plays or, or direct them or whatever. Uh, we must educate. We must uh, be a force for social good. We must diversify our audiences. 
etc. And I think these are things that any responsible artist will do to some degree or should do to some degree automatically. What's difficult now in these institutional theaters, I think, is not just you know fundraising all that and things like that they always have. Um, is that we are required to be so many things other than just principally a putter on of shows. Um, so when I think about directing and how that impacts on Lincoln Center, which has an audience of 40,000 members, which is big, uh, and has uh, I need a man or a woman of skill and personal integrity and talent to put on a great show. Um, and that's what we try to do. I think as a result of that, Lincoln Center is known for when we're doing it well, which isn't all the time, but sometimes, for putting on the best productions in an institutional world in this city. Uh, we have the capabilities, we have the money, the spaces, the audience, but mostly we need to have the directors. Uh, when I went up there and said, well, the Beaumont is such a hard part not to crack, that's going to be the test. You know, when I got the job, everyone would look at me and their eyes would remove with tears and they'd sort of say, oh, how are you? You know, as if I had signed up to go to hell or something. Um, I signed up on purpose because I wanted to do more than just put on new plans in a tiny space. Forgive me. Uh, and, uh, but the one thing they did say to me that was right was that you have to prove that the Beaumont can work. My predecessor was very smart. They didn't they weren't as established then. Everyone had said, those of you who know the story of Lincoln Center, can never work. There have been all these managements from the early days of Robert White and Julian Kazan to Pat to uh, other people, Irving uh, and Blau and Richard Quinkley, and it never really worked, partly because it was a theater ahead of its day. There were no thrust seat theaters to that degree in New York, partly because Kazan and Whitehead were trying to do something they didn't really know how to do. There are many reasons. And by the time Gregory Mosher, my predecessor, and Bernie Gersten, my colleague and partner, got there 10 years ago, then there were really plans to tear the building down, to fill it in, to turn the Beaumont into an indoor ice skating rink. That's how bad it was. Um, well, they just started doing that, putting on good plays at popular prices, and now you don't even think twice about the Beaumont or what's wrong with it, but that's taking is very tricky. I don't think it's as hard as the space in Hartford. I don't think it's as hard as the space even in Trinity Rep. I don't think it's as hard as the Mark Taylor Forum. But if it is not well used, it is an unforgiving space. And it was a space in which you can't bring the theater to the play because the architecture will never change. You have to bring the play and therefore the production up to the level of the theater. Um, so oddly, in terms of directing in that space, we did this old play uh, that everyone thought was kind of crazy called Abe Lincoln in Illinois. It was this old play by Robert E. Sherwood that had won the Pulitzer Prize, but that doesn't mean anything so long ago. And it was about Abraham Lincoln. It was in three acts, and it had 12 scenes, and it charted the progression of this great, somewhat neurotic man, which was the vogue thinking about Lincoln in the late 30s, uh, through his getting on the train and going to Washington. 
And I thought, if Jerry Gutierrez, and to a much lesser degree I, in this theater, can show the Beaumont Hall, this is one of the first plays I ever did uh, alone there as the producer, can sort of, the play was presentational, it was American, it was patriotic, it was big, and we had demanded a company uh, of 60 actors. Um, and we spent almost $3 million on it. Uh, Beaumont is also a very expensive place to run. And I thought it was the biggest unconscious, because you never know at the time, gamble I ever took and Jerry ever took. Because it was this old chestnut, and when the people would hear it, they'd say, my God, are you crazy? That flight is such a big bore, and it goes on so long, and etc. Well, once you found an actor to do it, was Sam Waterston and the company that surrounded him, and you actually could put it on. It it did exactly that. It showed that theater, and it was not a great play or a classic play in any way, off uh, in ways that hadn't been seen, I'm sure, in 25 years. And I, you know, at the end of this play, there was this great scene. It's one of the few really good, well-written scenes in the play when Lincoln goes off to Washington surrounded by his family and the townspeople and he gets onto the back of the train and gives this perfectly uh, exquisite uh, speech of farewell to his friends and neighbors in Illinois. And uh, he's already ailing. He isn't even present yet. And uh, Sam came in with a hat and a beard which he had grown in between the scene before and that scene. So it was a great coup de théâtre of a minor sort because he had not been wearing the beard because he hadn't. He grew the whiskers for the presidency because he thought it would give him more authority. So you've got this guy who comes in and we had the entire cast all playing 50 parts, but there were 60 actors on this vast stage. And he gave this speech, which begins, you know, my dear friends and neighbors, blah, blah, blah. It was terribly, terribly moving. Everyone cried on stage and off stage. And then the whistle blew and the steam came out and the uh, actors on stage started singing the battle hymn of the Republic and the bells pealed and confetti fluttered down from the sky and suddenly this train started backing up and taking him off to the, and the train backed up as they were singing bells and paper and everyone shrieking and flags to the back, back wall of the Vivian Beaumont Theater, which hadn't been used in 30 years. And the train got further and further away and the lighting pin-spotted down, or whatever the word is, I wouldn't know, irises down to, to Lincoln's eyes, and then it went to black. It was the end of the play. Well, I, we were banking everything on the last five minutes of this damn that if I could get a director who could stage the hell out of this and also make sense, of course, of the play that went on before, and an actor who could deliver and a company that could be part of this thing, it would, well, it would, it would be good. And every night, no matter how, whatever the, the fourth, the audience understandably went crazy only to go even more crazy when at the curtain call, 60 actors walk from upstage all the way downstage on this thrust with the, all of that. Well, anyway, the point is, I thought, 
I do know how to do this job now. That one can't always do it. We can annoy that costs two million dollars. But I thought that's what this theater, the Beaumont, the hard nut to crack that everyone said, is supposed to be for. And it isn't supposed to be for little slices of life, because it simply will swallow them. So, I'm talking. Bob also said, we'll talk a little bit about things that you see today in younger directors and problems and good things. One hesitates to criticize the young people too much um, or because they're beginning their careers. Uh, I do see uh, the specialization which goes on, and I think it's maybe true of all of us in the theater, maybe it always has been stage managers to do that, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I find that young directors because of either their education or their lack of knowledge or just their lack of experience, which is the only thing that's understandable, are extremely limited in terms of their knowledge of theater and, and plays. Uh, we, we don't do enough classical work in this country, so of course how do they know how to direct the way of the world or something like that. Um, but I find that the, the younger generation of director can sort of do one thing very well. They stage well or they're very what we call visual, or they get good performances out of actors, or they're really good with the playwright. But very few of them, and maybe it's only because they're young still, can put it all together into one expression. Um, and I, I'm, I'm very obsessed with that because I don't know, I know at Lincoln Center, you know, you all heard it at the time that we're as concerned as, as you all about the next generation uh, of, of directors and wanting to open our doors up to them and not just have the same tried and true people. Obviously, that gets to be repetitive. Um, what I feel is lacking today, and maybe again it only comes from a lack of experience, is what I call the subtler points of directing. And I'm coming to you as a sort of mainstream kind of person. Uh, things like orchestration, Let's just say, when you talk to some young guy about orchestra, uh, orchestration, they don't know what you're talking about. I'm not obviously talking about, oh, the actors have to go faster or slower, which you tend to see in these productions where it goes very fast or very slow. But the orchestration of an argument in a scene, which should get up to a certain point and pause and that kind of thing, or what we call character work, which is not the same as behavior. And I think a lot of young directors have a real problem in early stages of rehearsal, getting their act, the casts of, of, of their plays to explore, develop, and codify a character as opposed to just a series of characteristics, things like that. Um, so what
um, Old Streetcar Named Desire. Of course, it's a beautiful play. But what I retain in my mind about it, having not seen it, but having read it and seen photos and heard about it, is images of Brando in a t-shirt or uh, the look of the scenery or whatever, that sort of thing. And especially, of course, when you're working with new plays, the first production of that play, especially in New York, is all, if you blow it, that first production, that tends to be the end of that play. Um, so that when you do a new play in New York, and I think this is true everywhere, but it's especially true here because it's, it's, uh, it's, it can be a cruel environment. Um, the responsibility as a producer to finding the right director to do the first production, which Kazan did for Streetcar, and why one of the reasons we remember Streetcar, is a very heavy burden. Um, and so a guy like me, who is not a director, I, I do work with directors, and I think I can be helpful to them, and not threatening to them, because I'm not a director. And I see, I don't have the imagination to see the production through anyone else's eyes, but the directors and the authors, providing they're on the same wavelength. And that's a great gift. I, I don't think I could direct a play as a producer. I, I don't need to talk about myself. But if I'm on the same wavelength, is the director and the, the writer. It's wonderful because I can, I, I'm not trying to make the production to my production of that play. I'm trying to help them make it into their production. But I have come often and gotten into trouble with writers because I need and value and I know what good direction can do for a play. I've had the experience of working on a play by Wendy Wasserstein that was a great failure in one theater uh, where the director uh, pretty high had the, it was the first production and I had the actors mostly sitting on a selection of couches in each scene. The play was very badly reviewed um, and one of the critics uh, of the New York Times said about it that she doesn't know how to write plays. She should write short stories. She is not a theater writer. Then at Playwrights, we redid the play a few years later with a different director and obviously a different production. And the play was alive and moving, and yeah, there were couches, but they were not the main focus of the evening. And uh, the same critic wrote, she is a great, great playwright. Her talent is uniquely theatrical, etc. Well, she had barely changed one word of the play since the first production. My point is that, and I was pretty young then, and I really didn't, I'd never seen something like that before, that we, meaning producers like me, and young authors, or not so young authors, old authors, so desperately need good directors in this country. And my fear and my sorrow is that I'm convinced that a great deal of the American theater doesn't acknowledge that. Uh, I'm not saying this because you all were involved in directing. I want you to like me. I don't mean that at all. It's that, you know, authors have, there's such a give and take between the author and the director. It's healthy, or it can be. Uh, but I find many writers that I work with, I mean, from who, I mean, 
you're the last to play English, David Hare and Richard Ayer is the head of the National Theatre of Great Britain. There's always this tension, which, as I say, can result in good work and also can result in animosity and unease between, you know, my production on one hand and my play on the other. Um, but I, I guess to end this, uh, the questions, um, I don't want to repeat myself. I just, I don't really know all the answers as to how we're going to develop new generations of directors in this country. I think to some degree that is happening, of course. Um, and some really gifted young directors, too. Uh, but it, it, it seems to me that the American theater needs these directors to be versatile and generous of spirit and wise and solid and captains of the ship in a way that it never has before. Uh, and certainly at Lincoln Center, there's a guy who runs the theater who knows that. And whenever I go around and talk to other theater people, oddly, though I'm, I'm someone who's known as Walker's champion, I really champion the director because without that director, at the helm to use these ghastly nautical images that seem to come We're just sunk, you know. <laughs> but, um, and what's sad is that audiences often, and, well, we can't discuss critics because they're such idiots, most of them, not all, but most, they don't know the difference. They don't know when they see oh, a production of something uh, where there's a lovely set so they think and nice professional costumes they think, oh, that must be good that means it's well directed and sort of people stand around and can be seen you know uh, and the acting seems real or something uh, they don't I mean, I went to see a show the other night uh, uh, a classic play The Knocking Beer and in the leading role was a very, well, semi-somewhat distinguished American actor who really has enormous authority and power on the stage. A beautiful voice, a commanding presence, um, a real leading man as an actor. And he was giving a, bravura would not begin to describe the degree of his performance. It was a beyond bravura performance. It was impressive in its display of technique. Uh, but there was no reality to his performance at all. Uh, it was all technique, and um, surrounding him were actors of lesser, uh, lesser heat, uh, giving equally stilted uh, performances. And I thought, you know, this production, which I thought was poor, really could have been wonderful. Uh, had not the set designer, and we can't fault the author who's long dead, uh, had the director grounded this production in the realities that are in it, even though it was written uh, years and years ago at this point. Um, and all the reviews, of course, talked about the defects of casting and the great central lead role and the Nordic scenery and everything, and it was sort of well-directed. 
It's just that the rest of the cast was no good, and the leading actor was over the top, but it was well-directed. And my friend, this is one of these reviews, I thought, well, how could it possibly be well-directed? The director chose the actors, one assumes. Um, the director maybe can control this leading actor, or maybe he couldn't. Uh, and I felt, God, you know, it's so hard for these directors to get their message through. We, when we were doing The Heiress, there was a young director who came backstage to see Jerry Jones. Uh, he's a very talented young director who now runs a theater uh, as well as directing. He's of the visual school of directing, of the auteur school. He's so gifted. And he came back to stage to see this old chestnut, the heiress. He, you know, was a successful play and all that. He came back and he went to see Cherry and he said, oh, uh, Cherry said, well, you know, oh, you're great, you're great, Cherry. And then Cherry said, well, what do you think the direction? And the young director said, well, it didn't really seem like the director did anything. So in a way I thought, I'm trying to make a serious point. I thought, in a way, for an old-fashioned play we're talking about, I mean, obviously, that's maybe the theater's highest accolade. Not that this young man meant that, because he was so stupid, he couldn't really figure out. Uh, but I, and I went and told the, the director of Paris this, um, because I thought it was really important. It's, it didn't seem like the director did anything. Well, someone staged it, someone cast it, someone had it exquisitely designed, someone chose to believe in the play and believe in that old text strongly enough to win a Tony Award for whatever that's worth, for best direction for this old thing. Um, and I thought, well, that's the difference maybe between my generation, and I can't speak for the one ahead of me, and the one behind me, which this young director was. Um, this feeling that the young have to draw attention to themselves somehow, because understandably audiences and critics would think that's directing, if it's flashy and bravura, and things move very quickly. Uh, I, I went to see another production recently of a famous classical play, and it was really quite spectacular. You couldn't begin to follow the story of the play. And I guess it didn't seem to matter uh, to the audience, which was delightfully filled with young people who just loved it. But I thought, well, there's a play here, and why can't you link all of this amazing visual flair and tell the story at the same time? Is that heard up? You know, well, of course it isn't. It's just that that's this problem we have when we sort of see one kind of production or another kind or another kind, but rarely all together. Um, and maybe all together, whether it's something flashy or something understated, means simply that the director's work is so visible that it becomes invisible. And maybe that's the test of great, great directing. Um, so my task, you know, for the next five or ten years, I think, is... We have a lot of great authors in this country of all ages. I think we're going through a golden age of American playwriting and have been for a while. Uh, just not all of New York, but all over the country. And we have astounding designers and still in the theater actors of huge, huge talent who still want to go on acting plays. But things like what you're all doing are so vital without the director, I don't care what the play is, 
we'll have a, we won't have the theater we should have. And maybe because it's so hard to figure out how to deal with the next generation or whatever you all have been talking about, that's what makes it so frustrating. The thing we need the most seems to be the hardest for us to know what to do with in this country in the theater. I know it's 
it's a it's a it's a problem. It's going to be a problem, uh, and I regret it because uh, it will just it will put a a problem in in the middle of what is always a very creative but still problematic relationship. I find. So one of the things that a oh, one second, uh, right. uh, So one of the things that a graduate program could do, for example, is to ensure that in three years a director works in very different venues mm-hmm. over the course of the say three years. That would be something that we could do in a graduate in a graduate level, just to keep the venue shifted so a director doesn't pigeonhole himself in some way. I would say. It's interesting. There's a lot of programs that you do whatever you want, and maybe there should be a tougher uh, regimen. Intermediate stage between that lab and 
Well, yes, I do. Uh, in about maybe five years or so. I mean, we're mostly doing this lab that I guess you all heard about yesterday for uh, just to be nice, uh, really. Uh, there's not some great objective about it. Uh, a little bit that came out of my frustration and ends with the sort of reading circuit that goes on all over the country, these endless readings. You know, the very thing we thought we were doing new 20 years ago is now so common to just want to vomit if you want to go to one more reading. Uh, and God knows the author, you know, I mean, how many readings do you have to have? Uh, it's hard now. It's become so much part of the landscape, but in a way, good, bad, no readings of new plays. Um, so a little bit we were frustrated and I wanted to change the program and somehow bring in directors who might bring in their own projects and maybe some authors we didn't know. Because at Lincoln Center we were sort of getting, you know, so-and-so would send in their play. It'd be like the fifth reading of the play in New York. Well, what a bore, really, for the author, I should think. Um, and I, I felt because Lincoln Center is the biggest theater in New York and maybe the country, I guess, is something that we... You know, you have to help out. That's part of what you do. So we were able to raise the money, some of the money, thanks to many people, including David, sitting here. And um, we just let in all these people. Um, and we didn't know what we were going to do. And we only were doing it because we wanted to see what would happen and we wanted to do something. Because I felt we could do it, maybe other theaters could do it. It wasn't expensive and it wasn't all that hard to do. Um, now we're in the process of rethinking it and refining it as a result of what we learned after the first year. My hope, a few years down the line with it, is to have a, a greater sense than I have now in my marble palace of the younger generation of directors. And these directors were not all that young, either showed up in this lab or that experienced. Um, maybe we will get a third space and do, or maybe next summer we'll do a sort of four small productions, but real productions with scenery at the, at the Mitzi Newhouse. Obviously, five or six years from now, I would hope that if I'm lucky, maybe one, maybe two of the directors in this lab with whom we, we will keep in contact with will come and direct at the Center Theater. Um, I don't like being, as a big theater, dependent on other theaters to do my work for me. It, it embarrasses me. Uh, there's this very talented young director who just did a show at Playwrights Horizons, a monogamist, I can't remember his name, so that was Scott, out there with Scott Elliott, and uh, he had done a, an Irish play last summer that was very well directed. He's now the sort of hot, you know, hot young director. I, I believe he's very gifted because he, he does have a good visual sense, but at least in the play I saw, I thought the acting was very good. The acting seemed directed, not just randomly there. And um, I've been wrestling for three months because I'm too embarrassed to call him up and ask him to come in for an interview. And I read ironically that the roundabout was talking about doing the three sisters next year, you know, because he's the young director of town. And I, I sort of had this thing maybe left over from our days of wanting to discover it ourselves at Lincoln Center rather than relying on a smaller theater to feed me Lincoln Center, I mean. So I think ultimately, yes, we would like to find some directors for us to work with. 
but that is at the moment the smallest reason for doing this program. Yeah, I was, um, one thing you said was that This is Susan Stroman, and thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage, made possible through support from stage directors and choreographer society, the National Theatrical Union celebrating five decades of uniting, empowering, and protecting professional stage directors and choreographers. Visit us online at sdcweb.org. This online series is presented in collaboration with the American Theater Wing, dedicated to illuminating how theater is made through the words of the people who make theater. Visit them online at americantheaterwing.org.